Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the text that was read from Ephesians chapter 3. I gave Letha the title of the message, and I said, by the way, how many of you noticed the title of the message for this morning? You don't read your bulletins, do you? <laughs> the title of the message this morning is, oh, it's right in front of you, isn't it? <laughs> the Church Beyond 11 on Sundays. <laughs> she just burst out laughing. She thought that was so funny. The Church Beyond 11 on Sunday. But I think that if we think that the church really lives out its faith, between 10 to 11 or 8 to 11 or whatever time, uh, we're making a sad mistake. Uh, I wrote an article for the, the Democrat. That's not the party, that's the paper. I just want you to know. Uh, um, and um, I, I, I said that, you know, we know that we have this little saying, there's the church, there's the steeple, open the door, there's the people. I said, that is incorrect very much incorrect. I said, I prefer to have, there is the building, it has a steeple, open the door, there's the church. Because the church is not the building. The church is not the place where we go on Sunday. The church is living in the world every day. It's living in the schools, living in the office. The church is living in the community where you live. And what people see of you is only what you come to do on Sundays when you come. So I trust that what they're seeing is something that stunned them. I, I remember some years ago hearing the story of a, a young chap who graduated from high school and his grandmother sent him a Bible. And he was so annoyed that all grandma could think about at a time like this, the height of his high school years was a Bible. And he put the Bible in the corner somewhere and several years later, he had an occasion to open that Bible and there was a check for $500 in the Bible. But he didn't want to open the Bible because the Bible didn't seem to have anything that would give him any sense of whatever he wanted to do. I wonder if sometimes we don't see the church that way. We say to people, where are you going? Or in fact, someone said to, uh, to, to uh, say to you, where were you yesterday morning? <sighs> I don't want to say I was... I was in church. I, I, I had an occasion to rent a vehicle a few days ago, and uh, the guy was taking me home. Um, um, and he, he said, um, what do you do? I said, I'm a minister. <laughs> he, he said, I always wanted to ask the question, how do ministers get paid? So I took advantage of that and tell him why a minister is a minister. But sometimes we are embarrassed at the very, the very thing that is supposed to make us so exciting. 
the very thing that is supposed to make us so joyful. And somehow we have missed the boat. I think this is what the text this morning, this is what I mean by the church beyond 11 o'clock. Because what I want is that for us to, to grasp something significant about why we are here, and the significance of what we grasp will take us outside of here, and things will happen in us, to us, through us, for the simple reason that we are the church. Paul calls us a mystery. A mystery. There's something about God's people when they get together that has to be something more significant than simply coming to sit, to stand, to give, to sing, to go, and then to forget until next week. That's why I want to begin this morning by talking about the attraction of the church. How attractive is the church? Not the building, but the church. Because you will have gathered from the previous studies in Ephesians that we're talking about people. People in whom God has done something in their lives. He has broken down barriers. He has removed some of the stains that crippled our lives. He has forgiven us and he has brought us into our relationship with one another so that when we come together, there is no barrier, there's no separation. When we come together, there is something just simply wonderful. If you please, the church, when it comes together, is something simply awesome. That's when I'll use the word awesome. So what is the attraction of the church? Look at verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. Paul begins by saying this, verse 8. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. The attraction of a church is because of its atmosphere. Listen to what Paul says. This thing we call a mystery of coming together is because of grace that was given. The atmosphere of grace. When Christ comes, it it, it was said of him, he was full of grace. He was full of grace. So that whatever flowed from the life of Christ was something extraordinary. That the only word to describe it was grace. In John chapter 1 verse 16 it is said that from his fullness of grace we all have received grace upon grace upon grace. So the atmosphere that is attractive to the world as we shall see in a minute is that of grace. Now we have talked about that before but what is grace? Is grace something we say around the table? God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. That's a sense is grace because we're acknowledging that the food we have is, is, has been given to us. I always like to think of what I read when I was in college. Grace is not a blue-eyed blonde. <laughs> grace is not the way some people walk. How gracious they walk. How gracious they talk. How gracious they are. I want to suggest to you three things very quickly that we find when grace is active 
in a church. When what is motivating us is not ourselves, our desires, our power, our personalities, it is grace. First thing we find, when grace is present, humility is present. Listen to what Paul says. To me who am the least of all the saints. Now think about that. Paul had the privilege of, of seeing Christ beyond his resurrection. In 2 Corinthians 12, he said he was taken up into the very place where Jesus is. And he said, it was so marvelous. I can't even speak about those things, says St. Paul. He was, he was given the revelation of this grace to, to dispense to the churches. And yet he said, I am the least of all the saints. Can you imagine that? There's no power play with Paul. Grace didn't make him proud to say, I want you to know that I have what you don't have. I was able to see things that you have never seen. I have been able to hear things that you have never heard. So I want you to know that when you listen to me, you're listening to the stuff. You are listening to the man that really has something to say. The man who was taken up, the man who spent three years in Arabia with the Spirit of God training him to become what he is. And yet he says he was the least of all the saints. No power struggle. No self-exaltation. My friends, at a church where grace is, people are not looking for position and power. Please listen, the place, place where grace is, people are looking for opportunity to serve. Grace motivates us not so much to look inwardly, but to look outwardly. And when we see others, we don't do anything out of vain glory, out of, out of selfish ambition. We do things with the sense that what a privilege it is for me to do what I am doing. Uh, please understand that this has nothing to do with yours truly but the grace of God. Uh, this fellow, when he was asking, how does a minister get paid? And I, I said to him, as I understand it, the people give and that's how the minister is paid. I said, but I want you to know, my friends, that I have never, in my 30 years of ministry, I have never negotiated my salary with any church. Never. Not because I'm better than anybody else. But see, I have come to understand that this is a privilege that God has given so that you do not see people as serving you. You see yourself as serving people. Because that's what grace does. Grace doesn't put you in a position where you want. Because the second thing that happens when grace is present is there's generosity. Generosity. St. Paul talking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 8. He said, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you might become the riches of God in him. Listen, he was rich. And he took his riches. And he brought it into our world. And gave it to us so that we might become rich with the glories of God's blessing. So, so, so when grace is present, I like what you read in 2 Corinthians 8. 
Paul said, you know the grace which was given to the churches in Macedonia. 2 Corinthians 8.1. The grace that was given to the churches in Macedonia. So that those churches, in, although they were poor, although they were suffering, yet they asked to participate in the offerings to be given to the Jews. Now I want you to understand something. Before the grace of God entered the hearts of the Gentiles, there's no way they would take up an offering to give to the Jews. They hated each other. But when grace entered their, 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 their whole being, they became a generous people. I don't know if the, the word, the name C.T. Stud means anything to you. But he was a, a, a cricketer and... <laughs> Uh, that doesn't mean he was a, an insect. Uh, cricket is a game, a British game. And um, it is as exciting as watching paint dry. Uh, I, I come from a British country, and, and, and they, they play, play cricket, but I, I have never been able to get into it. It just does not have, does not have the same ring as baseball, but that's another story. C.T. Studd was, was to baseball, uh, to cricket in his day, what Barry Bonds was, not the latest part, but the player and the money they make. He was rich because of his ability with cricket. And he became a Christian. And nobody told him to. But the first thing that happened to C.T. Studd when he became a Christian, he felt that God wanted to take everything he had and give it away. Nobody told him to. Nobody said, you know, this is what you should do. In fact, he kept back some for himself. And his dear wife said to him, and, and by the way, when C.T. Studd met his wife, a, a, a wonderful story. C.T. Studd, this Oxford, Cambridge student, met his Salvation Army wife. And <laughs> he looked at her and thought, I, will, I would like to marry that girl. So he walked up to her and said, I'd like you to be my wife. And she said, I beg your pardon? I will not. And she, this is a true story. He said, you have neither the will or the mind of the Lord in the matter. <laughs> How do you like that for faith? He ended up getting married to her. But she said to him, you made a vow to God that you would give all. And if you are going to pay your vow, you're going to give all. Wow. Generosity. My friends, the greatest need for the church of Jesus Christ to display today in a world where we are bent on doing everything according to the economy is for us to be generous. It's, it's, it's what grace provides. It is what grace does. It doesn't give us the feeling that we have to look out to see how we are to operate the business of the church. It gives us the opportunity to look up to see where our riches come from and that we give because we are constantly being given by the giver of every good and perfect gift. It, it, it concerns me a great deal today that there are ministries where the big word is cut back. And I'm not talking about being careless at all. You know that. I'm not talking about 
about uh, just being frivolous. No, I'm talking about having the sense. And, and by the way, most of our institutions that we celebrate today were born in the middle of the hungry 30s. Many of them. But today we're thinking of what we can hold, yet grace does not hold, grace releases generosity. Thirdly, when grace is promised, there is the centrality of Christ. Listen to St. Paul again in verse 8. To me, the least of all the saints, this grace was given. This grace was given to me. What is this grace? Listen to what it says. That I should preach the unsearchable, the, un, the unreachable, the unknowable riches of Christ. I, wanted, I was saying to Lois as we were driving here this morning, man, I can hardly wait to share the message of God this morning. I'm excited about it. The unsearchable riches of Christ. I, I always remember the first time I was asked to speak. And I, I, I refused the first time, the second time, the third time. I couldn't avoid it. And, and then when I preached my first message and I, I, I was finished, I said, good, finished. I don't know where I'm going to get another one from. <laughs> Little did I realize that my calling had to do with the unsearchable riches of Christ. I, what, preaching yourself? What a poor message that would make. But preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ? Christ who was rich beyond my imagination with the majesty and the splendor of God, Christ who is the wisdom of God, and I am going to preach little puny self? What a wonderful privilege when people come and they know that the reservoir from which they're going to drink between the hours they come together as God's place is the unsearchable riches of Christ. What he was, what he did, what he said, how he lived, what he's doing now, when he's coming again. What a wonderful privilege that I don't have to look in the newspaper for a message at any given point in my life. That when I come, my friends, if I am true to my calling, I come because the reservoir from which I feed you is the reservoir of the life and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why the church is attractive. You know, the church that lives, my friends, unlike this is, is not really attracting anything at all. I tell you, just before I left Toronto to come here, Lois and I were in a, in a, in a church and uh, we're sitting down and about in the middle and all of a sudden hell didn't break out in that service, but it did the next week in a church. That's a tragedy, friends. When we come together and grace is present, let me tell you, there won't be Christians shouting over against Christians on the other side or to the pastor, the pastor, the Christian. This is what was happening at night. I said, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. And I trust that Soderville Church will never come to the place where they're shouting from one Christian to the other. My friends, that's not, that's not a, something that takes place when grace is present. We become attractive because of the atmosphere. People walk in and they sense grace. And then they feel grace. 
Secondly, the church is attractive because of its administration. Administration. There's a very curious word in verse 9. The King James translation says, the, the, the fellowship, the fellowship of the mystery. The word fellowship, we know the, the English transliteration is the word koinonia. We hear that all the time. It means to come together, and it means more than having coffee or cocoa, whatever you have. The word that is used in most of the translation is, is a word which talks about administration, oikonomia. Don't worry about the word. It, it, it says it is to show how a thing is done. Not what a thing is, but how a thing is done. To show the administration. That is, the, the dictionary defines administration this way. Administration is the activity of, our, of an institution or government in the exercise of its power and duties. The administration of the church is to be carried out or displayed in a way in which God designed it to do. So when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Peter was excited about that and so would anyone else. But listen to what he goes on to say. Whatever you bind on earth would have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth would have been loosed in heaven. What the church is involved, the administration of the church, my friends, is that the church works with orders from heaven, not by philosophy from below. See, here, here, here we are. This is the, the, the mystery, the administration of the mystery. This is how the church operates. The church does not operate the same way the world does. I, I told someone when I was working on my master's degree, I, I, one of the things I did, I did a research on Robert's rule of order because I was talking about how the church operates. And, and I'm going to tell you now. Uh, uh, where's Randy? There's Randy. Um, I'm still working. You know, when you, in a church business meeting, when the church business meeting is, is going on, we say, all in favor? Raise your hand. Those opposed? Oh, whenever I hear that word opposed. <laughs> Those are fighting words, aren't they? My, my thesis was how to make decisions in the church and still be friends afterwards. <laughs> because oftentimes, Robert's rule of order is what directs the church. Robert's rule of order is to say, this is the way you do it parliamentary. But the church is not a parliament. This is the way you do it democratically. But the church is not a democracy. See, the mystery of the administration we shall see in a few minutes. The mystery of the administration is that when the church does its business, it does its business with the design and the effects of grace. Not with the design and the effects of of Wall Street. I, I can tell you, in my, in my days in Toronto, I go to, 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 to church business meeting, and, and, and the superintendent will have us read books of what this latest one is saying about the church. Listen, I do not mean, I do not mean, I am not, there are very few things I fight for. I do not fight for, I am not a fighter. 
but I, I have convictions about certain things. And this is what I want to say, friends, that if there's anything I know, no person who is not a part of the grace of God has a right to tell me how the church should be operated. Because they can't. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3, 2 will tell us anyone outside of Christ is under the wrath of God. They're dead. So how can they come into the church and say how the church is to be operated? This is why Jesus said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. This is how the church operates. This is why he made the difference. He said, this is how the world rules. But among you, it will not be that way. The church is attracted, my friends. It's an attraction when the administration of the church has a different set of rules that bring people together and does not separate people. Well, there's much more I can say about that, but I'm watching the clock. So the church should be an attraction because of the atmosphere and because of the administration. But there is more. And here's the church after 11 o'clock. Now look at verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God, listen, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now let's see if I can unpack that for you in 10 minutes. Here we have then the attraction of the church. But here we have in these verses the audience for the church. The audience. You see, if you look to the right, you'll see people you know. If you look to the left, you'll see people you know. If you look behind you, you'll see people you know. But there's an audience that you do not know. There are other eyes that are on us this morning as we are here. Let's see if we can, we can discover that. The audience of the church is both visible and invisible. Verse 9 says this. And to make, the King James translation has this, and if you look in your King James translation, if you're using that, you'll notice that the word men, to make all men see, are italicized. Whenever you read your Bible and you see an italicized word, it is because it is not in the, the Greek or the Hebrew, but it is there to try and bring the meaning closer to where we are. And I, I appreciate that so much. And it's not, it's not a bad translation, but it's not in the original as such. Listen to what is in the original. And to make all to see what is the mystery. This mystery of the church where God brings people from every background and every language and every monetary position or whatever else we, we judge people by. Where God brings them together and the only thing that matters is Jesus. The only thing that matters is our relationship with Christ. And that relationship with Christ, as C.S. Lewis so wonderfully puts it, I cannot look at the sun with my naked eyes, but without the light of the sun, I can't see anything else either. It is when we see Jesus Christ, we see everything where they're supposed to be. And this is what Paul is saying. So let's look at it. The visible. What is the visible 
eyes of men are seeing. If you know who Finney is, Finney is a, a Roman um, historian, very reliable when it comes to what was happening in, in Rome and around the world in the first and second centuries. Finney tells the story of Trajan, T-R-A-J-A-N. Trajan was sent by the emperor of Rome to go to a place called Bithynia. You read that in 1 Peter chapter 1. And he was to go there and try to bring some order as it was the Roman desire to conquer the whole world. When Trajan got to Bithynia, he wrote back to the emperor. This letter was found around 113 A.D. He sent a letter to the emperor concerning a group of people known as Christians. This is what he wrote. I have been present at the examination of these Christians. I don't know who they are, but they are brought to me. I torture them to find out who these people are and what crime they had committed. But this is what I have found. It appears that the sum total of their crime amounts to no more than this. They meet regularly before dawn on a certain day, fixed day, to chant verses among themselves in honor of Christ who is their God, and also to bind themselves with an oath, not any criminal purpose, but their oath when they meet together is this, to abstain from thief or theft, to abstain from robbery, to abstain from adultery, and to commit no breach of trust, and to deny any deposit called upon to be restored. After the ceremony, it has been their custom to disperse and reassemble later on. And this is the point that got me as I read this. They reassemble later on to take food. Very simple food. Very harmless food. Very ordinary food. You know what that food is? The communion. The communion. Trajan didn't know who these people were. Didn't know anything about that. But he knew certain things about them. He knew that these were people that were committed to one another. He knew that these were people who were careful about their lifestyle. He knew that these were people who, who gave great value to the scriptures. He knew that these were people who saw in the communion something that had more than just bread and wine being taken. That, my friend, is what the visible audience sees. But what about the invisible audience? What about the invisible audience? Look again with me in verse 10, if you please. I've been dying to... No, I haven't been dying. I've been living to get to this verse. <laughs> so that the manifold... See, when the mystery is displayed, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now, at the present moment, whatever age we read and exposit this text, when Christians come together and they are motivated by grace, this is what happens. So that now, through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to rulers and authorities. These are the invisible audience. These are the powers that we cannot see. This is used again of evil as well as good principalities and rulers in the heavenlies. They're out there. <laughs> Someone said, are there beings and other planets? I don't know. But I'm going to tell you I'm glad that if there are, he came to this one. He doesn't tell us that, that he stopped somewhere and gave them this truth. The, the, the angels, the, the, the evil angels in the heavenlies and the angels in heaven, the scripture says when we come together, they take note of our being together. There is something significant about coming to church. And listen, friends, I thought of this. And I don't mean to put anyone in a negative sense. But when you miss church, you miss the opportunity to speak to angels. Have you ever thought of that? When we, God cannot fully or will not fully tell the angels what they need to know when the church is not together. That's a significant, significant thing. They need to know. And God could tell them what they need to know by speaking it. But instead of that, he has designed that a church coming together with a mystery, that mystery says something about the manifold wisdom of God. The church is a signal trophy of divine counsel. She is discerned by a galaxy of higher intelligence who marks the unfolding of the church's destiny. We are a spectacle, friends. We are being viewed right now. There are rulers in the heavenlies. There are rulers beyond the heavens that are watching and they're listening and they're seeing... It can be spooky. <laughs> someone, someone said I was in an evangelistic meeting and someone said, um, do you want to meet Jesus? Just go in that other room. <laughs> I thought, oh my word, what does that mean? <laughs> do you want to meet Jesus? Just go in that other room. Well, that was not what was meant. <laughs> but it sounded kind of spooky. This could, but I'm going to tell you what this means, friends. It means that if God is using simple people like you and me to speak to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenlies and in heaven itself, it means that what we do on earth is being done in heaven. And what is being done in heaven is being done on earth. We can't beat that. The most significant gathering at 11 o'clock is the church. In spite of its faults, in spite of its frailties, without two things, without the church, men could not see the mystery unveiled. Without the church, principalities and powers would not be educated. Wow. Wow. I, this, I tell you, there's a lot more I can see, but my time is almost gone. Listen, here we have the viewer, the audience, visible and invisible. But what do they view? Verse 10. They view the manifold wisdom. That is, wisdom that is, that is so different, 
so beyond human thinking, wisdom that one cannot begin to grasp with mere human minds. It is manifold, variated, all kinds of side. It's like putting a diamond to, to the light and to see the different reflection. That is what the church is. And one day, God will speak to the angels in heaven and he will say, this is what I want you to know about my wisdom. Next week he will speak and say, this is what I want you to know about my wisdom. The next time he's done at first assemblies of God and he's telling them, this is what I want my wisdom to be like. Or then at first Baptist, this is, my friends, when the church comes together locally and universally, God is displaying his wisdom. Now what is that wisdom? In Psalm 68, 18, and again repeated in Ephesians 4, the scripture says, when he led captivity captive. What, what, what does that mean? It's the wisdom of God. And I want to close with the wisdom of God. Please listen carefully. He led captivity captive. The very triumphs of his foes, it means... He used for their defeat. He used their triumph for their defeat. This is the wisdom of God. He compelled their dark achievements to subverse his end, not theirs. Subserve, I'm sorry, subserve. His end, not theirs. They nailed him to the tree, not knowing that by that very act they were bringing the world to his feet. They gave him a cross, not guessing that he would make it a throne. They flung him outside the gates to die, not knowing that in that very moment they were lifting up all the gates of the universe to let the king of glory come in. That's the wisdom of God. They thought to root out his doctrines, not understanding that they were implanting imperishably in the hearts of men, the very name they intended to destroy. They thought they had God with his back to the wall, pinned and helpless and defeated. They did not know that it was God himself who had tracked them down. He did not conquer in spite of the dark mystery of evil. He conquered through it. So the irony, listen to the irony. Save yourself, come down from the cross. And save yourself and us, not realizing that if he had saved himself, he couldn't save anybody else. That's the wisdom of God. You are a part of that. I am a part of that. And friends, when we leave this place, we go to display to the world that we are a part of the mystery for them to see. Because God used the mystery to reveal his wisdom up there when we were in church yesterday morning. But today we want you to see it. Let me end with two quotations. It is an inescapable conclusion that the angels watch us because we are a part, are subjects of the mystery. Here is how this cosmic drama is carried out. History is God's theater. The world is the stage. The writer of the script and the producer and the director of the drama is God. The audience are the cosmic being. They watch us and learn. The second 
is from a man I highly admire who just died a few days ago at 92, Dr. John Stott. Listen to how he writes about this mystery. It is through the old creation that God revealed his glory to humans. The heavens declare the glory of God. But it is through the new creation, the church, that he reveals his wisdom to angels. That's the wisdom of God. That's the mystery of God. And you and I are it. Let people see mystery tomorrow, wherever you go, because you have been a part of the audience for angels to see and learn from today. Let us pray. Oh God, I do not feel that I have even touched the surface of this great and magnificent truth. But I pray that what I did not say, or even if I said what should not have been said, that the Holy Spirit will make real the reality of the fact that we have an audience when we come together that we can see, but we have a greater audience we cannot see. And may the audience that we cannot see, including the audience that we can see, may they never mistake the church for something else because of the way we operate the administration of the church. May the atmosphere of Sodaville Church be one of attraction because we operate by grace. There is a centrality of Christ. Oh God, there is the generosity of the people. There is the unsearchable riches of God. Fill our hearts from this reservoir and make us the kind of people that causes the world to say, what manner of people are these? And may we be ready to tell them, it is grace, it is grace, it is grace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.